Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have writer and professor Bill Laboon. This is Technotopia. This episode is partially sponsored by SaneBox. So look, guys, I hate email. I get thousands of messages a day, and I miss all the important ones and get stuck reading the junk. I despise email as a workplace distraction, and it's one that eats up a great gobs of our attention, which could be better spent on more meaningful work. I agree with all of that. The question is, what would you do if you got that time and attention back? What would you do with two more hours in each week? About four. That's how much time SaneBox saves their average user every single week. With just a few clicks, SaneBox automatically gets your email under control and makes keeping it that way forever super easy. It also has some sweet features like one-click unsubscribe, which sends annoying emails to the aptly named Black Hole, and automatic tracking of messages that haven't been received replies so you can see what needs following up on. I want you all to see how SaneBox can help you reclaim your time and attention with a free two-week trial. Visit SaneBox.com techno today to start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's SaneBox, S-A-N-E-B-O-X.com slash techno. Thanks for listening. Three, two, one. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast of better. I keep messing this up. Welcome back to Technotopia, the podcast about a better future. I'm John Biggs. Today on the show, we have Bill Laboon. He's a uh, professor and writer uh, who lives in Pittsburgh. Uh, welcome, Bill. Thanks. Nice to be here. Yeah, super. So you're a, you're you're not a you're not a professor professor. You're a teacher of some sorts. Uh, yes. I don't I don't quite understand what that means. Yeah, so technically I'm a lecturer, which means rather than my focus really being on research, even though I do some research, my focus is on teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really you know where where my heart lies. I like uh, I like teaching people things. But it's computer science teaching. It's not teaching like basket weaving or whatever. Uh, right. Yeah, I'm in the computer science department, so I mostly teach uh, software engineering, quality assurance. I'm teaching a special topics course on blockchain technology and cryptocurrency this mm-hmm. semester. Uh, I, t- I teach a variety of, uh, of computer science related courses. Okay. Is, uh, is the, is the entirety of the uh, educational system going to uh, go belly up in the next two years? Uh, well, I'd give it at least three. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, uh, you know we'll, we'll see. I'm doing my best to keep it afloat. So, I mean, I guess the, the, the reason why I asked that is that everybody's saying that the, uh, that the idea of, uh, first off that, that, for-profit colleges or even non-profit colleges are basically going to be shutting down. There's too many of them. There's a glut, right? Uh, yeah, I think no one yeah, would disagree with that. There are a lot of colleges out there that aren't really providing what they really should be doing, a good academic background for students. Mm-hmm. So what is, what's the future for, in terms of education, especially uh, computer education? Like, I want to learn Kotlin for myself, so I, I ordered the book, and I'm going to sit here and I'm going to learn it a little bit. Uh, I'm just wondering why, why someone needs to go to school to, to, to learn, I don't know, Kotlin or, or, uh, Django or whatever. Uh, well to learn a, you know, a specific technology or a language, they, mm-hmm. that's really not what I see a school for. Uh, you know, me, when I, when I want to learn a language, you know, so like recently I picked up Rust, you know, very, very interesting language. Uh, and how did I do it? Well, there are a lot of resources online. You know, I could teach, I could teach myself. Uh, when, um, you know, when I became a Ruby developer, it was the same thing. I sort of, I picked up some rails tutorials. I learned it myself enough at least to get going. Uh, but what I really see a role for, you know, for a more like traditional academic, uh, uh, education 
is you know, getting the, the foundations, like really understanding data structures and being able to create projects and try things and get feedback on them from somebody who is experienced in that mm -hmm. uh, sort of safe environment. Uh, so it's one thing to like, you know, just learn syntax, right? Learn new syntax, but how do I develop, uh, you know, an API that's going to be understandable and maintainable, uh, and that, um, is going to be efficient and performant. What are like, you know, some, some foundational principles, what kind of data structures can I use? What kind of architectures I can use? And, you know, there's always the argument that this could be done in, you know, just an in industry that just go off and start a startup and you know, start working on it. But what I really think an academic education provides is the ability to do that in an environment where you can be criticized without, you know, causing a, you know, a multi-dollar mm -hmm. failure. You can uh, figure out what works, what doesn't, get feedback on what your problems are. Uh, so that's what I think that that sort of, you know, old-fashioned education is still very useful for, even in computer science. Interesting. So the, yeah, that's an interesting point. So basically, the 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 university is a place where where you can go to, where you can go to mess up. Right. But is the, the, I guess, I guess the, the question there is how do you judge a university's ability to train you in failure when, especially in, in technology? And maybe this is, maybe this is too esoteric, but I guess, I guess the, uh, you, you specifically are going to be able to teach folks how to, what, what to think about when they, when they see blockchain and be, I guess, skeptical and be understanding and be cognizant of, of the whole thing. Um, what is it that a university requires to ensure that that message is, is taken correctly and that, 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 that it's able to be used in, in, um, uh, actual work environment? Uh, so I, I think that what the university really you know, should bring to the table are faculty, you know, people that are that are teaching the classes that that do understand this, that have made the mistakes, right? That have gone through mm -hmm. uh, the, the the school of hard knocks themselves and you know, discovered these problems, um, and also give the chance for students to do things in such a way that it's similar to how they would do it in industry. So all of my classes, for example, are very project based. Because I spent you know 15 years at a variety of companies, I have never been given a test mm -hmm. outside of an interview. No one has said like, well, if you can finish this pro problem in 30 minutes with no Googling, then you can, uh, uh, then we whatever get the contract. Uh, I think that you know what academia has to do, at least again in, in our field, is to really continue to make things more industry focused, more project focused, like what students are doing while still providing them the, the theoretical framework and grounding and foundation uh, that they, they would get from a more traditional education. Mm -hmm. All right. Very cool. Yeah. It's, a, it's just something I was thinking about in terms of why, why do we need schools? I, I understand why I needed, uh, like I went, uh, I went to CMU down the street from you guys. Uh, you're at Pitt. Um, I understand why I needed that, but I don't understand how to explain to the world that they still need it. And everybody's really frustrated with, uh, with the price of university, et cetera, et cetera. Um, what are you, so you wrote a, you wrote a novel on blockchain. Why don't we talk about that a little bit? Tell us, tell us what the, uh, what the story is there. Okay. Uh, so I wrote uh, a novel strength in numbers, a novel of cryptocurrency, uh, which is a book set about 20 years in the future where traditional money has been made obsolete by a variety of cryptocurrencies. Uh, so it's actually set at uh, the University of Pittsburgh. You know, they say, write what you know. Mm 
Uh, so it's actually an English lit major who discovers that there may be the key to five Bitcoin in her apartment, that there was a, a researcher who had left a, like the key for five Bitcoin in her apartment. And part of the, the, the novel is not just her, you know, figuring out how to find this uh, with the help of some of her friends. Uh, so along the way, the reader also figures out how how Bitcoin works, because, you know, to the people 20 years from now, it'll be like asking, well, how does electricity work? You know, mm -hmm. I don't know. I just flip the switch. You know, I, I don't know. I just I, I put the phone and the money goes over there. Um, but of course, you know, it turns out to be there's more to this than uh, than it seems. And she sort of gets sucked into an adventure. And the and the so and it's it's on Amazon right now. Why did you write a novel instead of a uh, instead of a nonfiction book? So um, I had already you know I had written uh, I had written my textbook. I'd wanted to try a hand at uh, at fiction, and I had also noticed there there weren't any as far as I could tell any novels or you know that that really explored this topic. There was already a lot of you know there are a lot of great books out there nonfiction on the history of Bitcoin uh, or you know how blockchain you know is going to impact the world. But I didn't see anything out there that you know, told a story about what this world was going to be like. Mm -hmm. It all seemed kind of you know, disconnected, like, oh, we'll be able to do X, we'll be able to do Y. But I was thinking, all right, how is this going to impact society? How's, you know, what's, what's life going to be like on a day-to-day on a -day basis? How is it going to be different? And I thought that you know, writing a book would allow me to explore this as well as you know, be, I, I think, pretty interesting to, to others. Like, as we we are, I think, in the just the beginnings, really, of like the the, the cryptocurrency revolution, and uh, that sounds a little cliche, but mm -hmm. I, I really believe it. And uh, so, how are all the uh, how are all these things going to be like impact our world, you know, going forward? And I think generally in positive ways. Um, so the book actually has some sort of like uh, fictional nonfiction in it. I have like what are basically newspaper clippings from the Econometrician, which is a, a uh, uh, a pretty thinly veiled um, uh, uh, reference to, to a current day news newspaper, mm -hmm. and uh, you know, with with different news snippets of like you know what's happening in the world uh, as the characters are also living in it. Like, how is it impacting sort of like larger uh, scale things, like at, at with businesses and politics? Because I think it's going to have an influence not just on how individuals live, but just how societies are sort of put together and substantiated. Hmm. What's the, uh, why do you think that cryptocurrency folks can't, or why isn't, why isn't cryptocurrency, um, compelling enough for more people to write about it in that way? Is it hard to understand? Is it, is it the cryptocurrency folks just don't have that sort of imagination? Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure. I wouldn't say that. I mean, I would say that cryptocurrency people certainly have, a, you know, a lot of imagination. And I've seen sort of, you know, short, very short stories online, you know, on Reddit and on Twitter about things that can happen. Um, I think it's just, it's really, you know, it's like multiple different skills, like, you know, being able to write well and understanding cryptocurrency well enough to really uh, say something about it. Uh, you know, a Venn diagram where I would say the intersection is, is not that, um, is, is not that large. Mm -hmm. and, you know, again, we are you know, still early in this space, and there have definitely been you know novels that have talked about it, sort of uh, uh, what's the word, or around the edges of it. You know, like Cryptonomicon by Neil Stevenson yep. in the, in the '90s. I mean, he certainly talked about a, a sort of cryptocurrency, uh, even though it's very different than what we see as as, as Bitcoin uh, today. So I think that. 
And then you know, there's the classic, you know, like Star Trek always talks about credits and, you know, gold press latinum and stuff. So people have talked about money, but I think it's, it was a little bit difficult writing it to at, at first think, all right, how, how can I make a story, you know, that that's going to be compelling and interesting and, and full of plot that also explains, you know, how things are going to be. It's, it's kind of a, you know, an odd, you know, a little bit of an odd combination. Yeah. I mean, there, there are a couple, there are some, there's some writers who do that. Something like, um, oh gosh, what was the one about the, uh, flat world? Uh, Remember that book? Yeah, I think it was a Flatland. That was called Flatland, like Flatland, 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 and 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 there are a couple other ones that are similar to that. Uh, and some of the sci-fi novelists have done, kind of do that where they where they basically take a topic and kind of beat into the ground using fiction. And I don't think this is the case here. I think the it's just it's an interesting point that it hasn't been a plot point. It's 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 gonna it's trying to grow. How do you uh, how did you write how did you write this moving from a uh, moving from an academic background into uh, into something a little more creative like that? Uh, so sort sort of uh, uh, fifteen minutes at a time. So uh, mm-hmm. I've got a, I've got a, a young a young son. He's he's uh, he just turned five this summer. Mm-hmm. And I've always uh, since he was younger he loved stories, and so I started telling him stories. I've got you know all different kinds of stories and little alternate universes that I have for talking with him. And I feel like that's, as I did that, I started thinking like, Hmm, you know, I guess I, you know, I'm pretty good at this. At least my son likes it. And he's, you know, mm-hmm. and so I started, uh, just when I, when I had some time sitting down and, uh, thinking of the, of the story. And the more I started thinking about it, the more it all started to come together. Like, you know, things, it just, it, and I wanted I wanted to keep writing more and more until my uh, like sort of you know mapping it out and then my mm-hmm. told me like oh this this is really interesting and like the way you've explained it you've been able to you know, she's not a technical person but I was able to like you know explain it in a non technical way and she's like you know you should put that in there you should put that in there and uh, pretty soon I'm like oh this is really coming together so I sort of made a big push to get it uh, uh, you know, get all together into a, a final form and, and sent out hmm. fascinating all right very cool. Uh, what do you think? Uh, what do you think blockchain and uh, and all that stuff looks like in twenty years? Uh, so I think it's going to have you know, a huge impact on the world. And I know everybody right now, you know, they're talking about price and you know, Ether's doing this and Bitcoin's doing that. Uh, but I think that like you know, blockchain itself has in, in the idea of this coming to a consensus without some any sort of centralized intermediary has some like really big impacts on the world, which as I mentioned, I think are, are generally positive. Um, so I think a, a big thing is we now have, you know, this way of communicating value, right? You know, so the internet allows us to communicate information or data, uh, but now we have a way to communicate value, to send value uh, without any sort of specific intermediary uh, and also to do it in an entirely transparent way. So if I if you say that you know all right, here's my Bitcoin address I can now send you uh, a Bitcoin and you can't come back to me later and say that like no Laboon, you didn't send that to me I say no I you know, we go to Blockchain Explorer we can see here it mm-hmm. is here um, everything is extremely transparent and think about how many things you do in your life now that are entirely opaque you know that um, if you want to uh, uh, you know get some money from your bank it's like, unless you go and balance your checkbook. Uh, you really just depend upon, all right, the bank's, you know, uh, system is doing everything correctly, right? If you want to, uh, uh, you know, buy a house, I, I've always thought this is kind of ridiculous. Like you have to get title insurance mm-hmm. as, you know, there's no way to verify transparently and, and authoritatively that the person that sold you the house actually owns it. 
And I say, well, we have these technologies now. <laughs> you know, developing a society from scratch right now, we wouldn't be using like, you know, mm-hmm. or people to go search in the, the musty halls down at City Hall to figure out who owns a property. Uh, you know, we could put it on a database. And if we wanted to make sure that everybody could determine this and who owns it and make it, you know, open, we could very easily put it on a blockchain. So I think, you know, these are just like, you know, two specific examples. Um, but I think that this is going to apply to a lot of things. We now have ways to do things in a transparent manner that we just did not have the ability to do uh, be- before we had blockchain and related related technologies. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's going to be an interesting point. I mean, I think the when when is it is this ever going to become is this like a unix is this like linux on the desktop where every year it gets a little further away or is this uh or is this like linux on the server where it just, where it just essentially everybody's excited about it right now for about 5 years and then it kind of then it kind of fades into the background and just becomes part of part of everyday life yeah so so i think you know just like you know we, we talk about linux on the desktop but you know so many people are using android phones which uh, you know, we're, we're carrying around Linux and we don't even really you know, think about it. Uh, you know, electricity, uh, radio was, uh, w- w- was a huge, you know, interesting thing. And people would talk about, all right, exactly what kind of you know, antenna we're going to use and all sorts of uh, uh, um, whatever. I, I'm not, I'm not a, a radio person, but I know my friends that are mm-hmm. like, am radio people and they can talk for hours about like, you know, what kind of angle we would set the antenna to and all this stuff. Like for most people, though, it's like they go in the car and they, they press the button. So I think that from a, a public perspective, we may not see as much about blockchain. Uh, but like you said, like with Linux on the server, it's like, well, it's, it's going to start taking over as people sort of see the benefits, I think. Uh, and then they'll just assume that, of course, if I want to know, um, uh, you know if, if I own this property, I'll be able to look it up. Of course, and, and just, you know, I, I will know it's true and I'll easily be able to verify it. Um, of course it was ridiculous for people to use credit cards where you just gave someone a number and they could withdraw as much money from your account as they wanted. Mm-hmm. And then it was up to the bank to look at it later. Um, people were going to, I really feel like people are going to just, you know, look back and they're, if they ever really think about it, just like we think about, you know, the silliness from, you know, the forties and fifties and, uh, it's going to fade into the background of, of their everyday life, but they're going to see the benefits Right. Just uh, spam prevention. I don't know. I think you were around like in the early 90s when spam was just uh, just absolutely rampant. Mm -hmm. But nowadays, it's pretty rare that I get spam in my inbox. But I don't think about like all the cool Bayesian filters and stuff that have been implemented to to make that happen. Even though all this like cool technology is happening in the background, we as the public may not realize it. Sure. Yeah. I remember a. um... I was talking with uh, Captain Crunch, John Draper. Oh, wow, yeah. And he made his own uh, spam filter. It was basically just a spell checker and some other stuff that he had set up for himself. And it was just basically a, a filter that way. And this was this was dec- like almost 20 years ago. Uh, and now I haven't seen a... Sp- I honestly don't see spam. That's actually a very, very good point. Hmm. All right, very cool. Um, what's your next book going to be about? Oh, so um, I've I've, uh, I've I've considered a couple of different things. Uh, I've, I've thought about writing a fantasy novel, but honestly, I've got some uh, uh, some some more textbooks that I that I want to write. I want to do uh, this. I, I have a, te- a friendly introduction to software testing, and uh, I want to write a second edition simply because the software testing world has changed pretty dramatically uh, since I uh, originally wrote it. All right, very cool. Uh, and what the title of the uh, the previous book again? 
Let's get that uh, out there so people can grab it. Yeah, uh, Strength in Numbers, a novel of cryptocurrency. So it's available in uh, paperback or uh, on uh, uh, ebook, uh, Kindle, all that uh, should be available. All right, all right. All right, let's close this up. All right. all right, thanks, Bill, for joining us on Technotopia. This has been Technotopia. I'm John Biggs. We will see you next week. Technotopia is brought to you by Happy Fun Corp. Happy Fun Corp is a design-driven technology company in Brooklyn, New York that specializes in building mobile and web applications for startups and Fortune 500 companies. Whether it's a new mobile or web application that will help people experience the Internet in a fun new way, or software that will interface with a new piece of top-secret hardware, Happy Fun Corp is always up to the challenge. Big or small, Happy Fun Corp loves building software and loves working with great people. Come build with them. HappyFunCorp.com Technotopia is also sponsored by Jaywalk. Jaywalk is a new app that pays you to walk. You can try it out at jaywalk.me. It's created by me, John Biggs, and a few of my friends. jaywalk.me, please check it out.